to Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name's Sam Levowitz, joined by Jack Hannon as always. It's episode 25. We made it a quarter of the way to the century mark on the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. And Jack, happy spring training. Happy spring training indeed. Dude, I can't believe we've done 25 episodes. That's like 25 weeks of this. I gotta give it to him. Gotta, you know, it's great. But baseball's back, man. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah, I'm stoked, first of all, in the 25 episode thing. That's crazy that we are at this point. I know 25 is not a huge number, but like for us, it feels really significant. And we would not be keeping whip up with the content and making new episodes every single week if we didn't have people who are listening to us. So the fact that we are keeping going is a testament to, you know, the, the small but uh, significant support that you guys have given us. So thank you so much for that. It's spring training. The Mets are... In Port St. Lucie, they reported first full team workout is tomorrow. Uh, position players had their physicals today, Sunday. Uh, the uh, Today is the 21st of February. So uh, Francisco Lindor is in camp first. Of, like, he's in a Mets jersey. We're seeing photos. Pitchers have been there for a few days. It's it's exciting. It's amazing. It's incredible. Baseball's back. I am excited, as you guys can tell. I, I'm, I'm literally ecstatic this is my favorite time of year when baseball is just starting to come back there is a buzz especially this year with this team there is a buzz right now and it's fun to be a Mets fan right now right am I wrong it's all vibes that's what I've sort of noticed right away it's just you know it's 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 colored baseball gloves it's you know blue hair blue hair it's silly you know interviews it's people getting to mess around with each other again uh, I'm sure for like our for the beat, this is a huge thing too, because God knows how long it's been since they were put on an assignment to like go to a location to report baseball. I don't know what the you know the protocol was for them during the regular season, but this is definitely a nice break for them. Uh, and they've done so much work too. But yeah, to go back to the players, I mean, this is just and most of the free agents are off the board, or at least we know where people are going to go right because like Jackie Bradley Jr. is still there but it seems pretty clear he's going to go to the Red Sox at this point no one really knows what's happening with Jake Odorizzi but like everyone else is is off the books the Mets actually signed another guy this past week which was I think a very pleasant surprise a pleasant good surprise I I might add uh for us just because I didn't I, I had sort of come to the you know the realization wrongly that they were done making moves that this was what it was going to be but Taiwan Walker is a Met now and I'm stoked yeah uh it's it's cool that Taiwan Walker's a Met because Taiwan Walker seems like a real nice good dude and we um, we'll talk about that he uh basically he, he announced on Twitter sort of you know it was already circulated at that point that he was going to be a Met but before the official announcement was out he he posted a photo on Twitter of a bottle of wine of uh, Tom Seaver's uh, vineyards wine and kind of just as a nod to, Hey, I'm signing with the Mets. And uh, it honestly made me like kind of emotional. I really, really liked that, uh, that, that he did that. And it's an expensive bottle of wine too. It's like a 400 plus dollar bottle of wine, but yeah, Taiwan Walker's a Met uh, after a series of, of just misses on a bunch of free agents, including, you know, Paxton in the starting pitching department, um, obviously Bauer, if you want to go back even further, but mm-hmm. the Mets did sign Taiwan Walker. It's two guaranteed years at a $20 million price point um, with a third year player option, which is technically sort of guaranteed money. So if you look at it uh, from that perspective, this has a potential to be a three year uh, $23 million deal as I believe what the players association valued it at. So it's, it's, it's not too terribly expensive. It's also probably a little more expensive than I thought, Walker was going to get for those first two years at a a $10 million annual average. Uh, But he's still young. He's 28. Uh, He's been hurt a lot Um, and he might not be very good, but for a back end guy, you know, there's, there's some upside here and I'm not complaining about it necessarily right now. I think he's better than, you know, Rick Porcello. So yeah. um, Welcome Taiwan Walker. And it's, it's nice too, because you know, they have depth. I mean, there are a lot of things that the Mets front office, I think, dropped the ball on this offseason. Obviously, we can sing our praises to the high heavens about Lindor Carrasco for as long as we want. 
there were a lot of misses too that I think we assumed were going to be, uh, you know, scores that we thought, you know, we thought we were going to get JT Romuto or George Springer. I'm sure people thought they were going to get Bauer. Uh, the pitching depth is really good. They did a really good job addressing it. They did a really good job working around uh, the ifs. I don't think I'm not scared about the ifs. Uh, Mike Montgomery probably would have been somebody, for instance, that I think in a in a past regime with a past general manager uh, would have been like the first guy we call out from AAA if somebody gets hurt. But in this instance, he's probably like fourth or fifth. Uh, you know, Jordan Yamamoto has just like I'm I'm getting more excited about that every day. Joey Lucchese being on the outside looking in. I mean, we're now at a point where David Peterson is not guaranteed a roster spot. And hopefully the guy pitches to his potential and gets a spot. But I also think that this is a very good problem to have that instead of your depth being, you know, the Walker Lockett experiment, it's now pitchers who have gotten through six, seven innings regularly at the big league level uh, who have also shown a lot of upside and are pretty young. I mean, with Walker, you're not, you're not really paying. I've, I've said this to a few people like with Taiwan Walker, I don't feel like you're paying for past performance in the same way you'd be paying, uh, you know, Charlie Morton, for instance, with what the Braves did. You're paying for two years of opportunities to work with someone who's 28, who's been a highly touted prospect, who still throws pretty hard, who's still working on uh, like fine tuning his repertoire and, and getting his pitch arsenal figured out like you're paying for that chance and it's a front-loaded deal which is good too it's not back-loaded so if we have a hard time with this it's easy to cut bait um it's I yeah I, I really can't complain about it and I can't complain about the way the Mets have addressed the pitching problem for all that they failed to do in a lot of other departments this is one that I'm really excited to just watch in spring training I love good pitching yeah I think it's very clear immediately that a storyline in spring training is going to be a battle for this fifth starter role. There's no guarantees right now. I mean, it's no coincidence that three of the first few players that the Mets had speak to the media this week were David Peterson, Joey Lucchese and Jordan Yamamoto. Yamamoto spoke to the media today, Lucchese the other day. And I think Peterson might've been the first player that spoke to media this spring it's no surprise to me that those are the guys that they're putting in front of the media because they want to foster this healthy competition between those three guys. And then in addition to guys like uh, Jared Eikhoff is, is in that conversation too, I guess um, there are more guys who can start. They kept Corey Oswalt, you know, he, he, they passed him through waivers. He's still in the organization. He's still on that list. Mike Montgomery, you mentioned, but if you look at that that triumvirate of Peterson, who was good last year, uh, but still probably projects to a four or five in his rookie year, he was good. Uh, Yamamoto and then Lucchese, all three are youngish. All three are have options remaining, so they can be sent to AAA. All three have kind of similar upside. I guess they are all sort of interesting in the same way. I, I really just, I like the fact that there's a legit competition. They're not just going to hand it to Peterson and say, you know, you're our, you're our guy, go, go with it. I really like the fact that Walker puts them in a position to have these young guys duke it out because healthy competition breeds success in Major League Baseball. These guys are going to push each other to that next limit. And I think by the end of spring training, you're going to have a clear front runner for that fifth starter spot. Yeah. I mean, the best case scenario, honestly, is that there's no front runner by that last week that they're all performing well. Uh, and you can, honestly, you can almost do what the Mets did in 2018 at the beginning of the year when they started Zach Wheeler in the minor leagues, people forget that that happened, like because they had Jason Vargas and they had at the time had assumed that between DeGrom Harvey, Syndergaard, and Mats, that they were still going to get good performances out of them. Um, so you just stash a guy, and if you need to call on him, like, within that first week of the season, you can still do that. Uh, I like having that opportunity. I think there are still areas that hopefully the Mets uh, will consider addressing as the spring continues. Like, I can't imagine that the defense along the infield is going to be 
that much better uh, if J.D. Davis is still playing third base. I think that the outfield is especially going to raise some some questions uh, if you have Smith in left field and Nimmo in center and Conforto in right because, you know, that is his natural position and he's not really, really unwatchable in right field, but Conforto is also a negative. You're going to need to really, you know, more Pilar and maybe even Khalil Lee or just look for other guys too that you can that you can uh, plug in to make that better. Because I, st- I still don't think that this team is in a position to steal the pennant, but I'm also excited to finally be able to like take a look at it. And I think that adding Walker gets them a lot closer because ultimately like if you're not going to improve your defense, you, the next best measure is with run prevention is pitching. In fact, that might even be the better one, but between bullpen and starting pitching, it's probably starting pitching, at least with this market. Yeah. It's going to be curious to see like how the team kind of comes together and gels over the next few weeks. Once, you know, games start next week and, uh, I'm excited to just get everyone in uniform right now, but there are still holes on this roster. You know, they could still probably use another, uh, 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 honestly, I was going to say they could probably use another bench bat. I'm not so sure that's true. Um, especially with Pilar in tow, but one area that could probably, you know, use some, uh, addressing is, is the relief core given that Seth Lugo is going to be out for a month and a half, probably at least. And, you know, I, I caught some heat for this earlier this week on Twitter. I said that I don't think the bullpen's very good without Lugo. And, and some people came at me for that. And I, I understand where you're coming from because they have some good relievers like Trevor Mays, probably a top five reliever in baseball right now. And people don't really talk about that. And Edwin Diaz is, you know, had a good year last year. And I, I have said before on this podcast, I am as, as firm an Edwin Diaz believer as there is on Mets Twitter. I think he's good. I think he's, is, you know, when he's been hit, it's mostly a product of bad luck. Uh, I don't really buy into the fact that, you know, he's can't pitch in clutch situations, whatever. I think he's good. I also, we've seen the fact that his ceiling or rather his floor conversely, it should be floor there is very low, which worries me yeah. if he's and not also- pitching well. I mean, I also, I'm also probably, I didn't really get that much heat for it because my tweets don't get, I think, the same engagement. I'm still kind of working on that, but. Go follow uh, Jack. Yeah, yeah, follow me, y'all. I said that Seth Lugo, like, honestly, people really, I think, sleep on the amount of work you can really put into Seth Lugo before Seth Lugo breaks like this happens every year they're like oh can we can we make him a starter again can we make him the closer after working him like you know three days in a row as a setup man it's like you can't keep doing this to somebody who was he's now 31 and he's had like three elbow procedures uh two at the big league level like eventually he's not going to come back the same way he was when he left and I think that ultimately like moving him having him out of the picture is a problem. People first off shouldn't assume he's going to come back quickly because he may not. Uh, and people also shouldn't assume that he's going to be as good as he was when he left because he, he had a pretty bad 2020 and it was not his fault that he had a bad 2020. He got used pretty unfairly. Uh, I think if you're losing Seth Lugo, who's probably going into 2020, your best reliever, like, you know, going into 2021 now, you need to have someone like that. I was kind of bummed that they didn't get Trevor Rosenthal, but again, Oakland told him he could close. So that's how that happened. But I mean, right now you don't really have a closer to look for anymore. It's it's a bunch of good seventh inning guys who can really ease the, I think the heat beneath uh, moving Edwin Diaz and Trevor May up into heightened roles. Guys like Tyler Clippard, Shane Green, uh, I mean, there are some guys that can be traded too. Like the Pirates are talking about trading Richard Rodriguez. I'd be all over that. He's a high spin guy and he's pitching in Pittsburgh. So A, they're not going to ask for anything in return. And B, there's almost definitely something in there that they're not using that the Mets can use and tap into a, a good pitcher. So I don't know. I think they really should pursue that. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And just like continuing the point about the bullpen is behind those guys, behind those good seventh inning guys, the behind Lugo's hurt behind Diaz and may you have Familia who we don't think is good anymore. 
You have Batances, who is most likely cooked. You have Aaron Loop, who sure is probably fine, but he's also similarly to Batances and Edwin Diaz and Familia, a high walk rate guy. And then who's that last spot going to? Tommy Hunter? Jacob Barnes. Jacob like, Barnes. Yeah. It's, it's just that after like Trevor May, there's just not a lot of trust in this bullpen with Lugo out for me personally. And that's why I don't buy it as a very good bullpen. And that's why I buy it. I think of it as kind of a weakness of this team right now or a potential weakness. Similar to the starting rotation, it has depth and there are interesting high-ish upside guys that are kind of stashed beneath that first crop of guys. Like I really like Drew Smith. And I like some of the other, you know, bullpen pieces like Riley Gilliam, I think is going to be fine. I think he's going to be a major league reliever sooner rather than later. Uh, like I like Steven Tarpley. I think there's a lot to like in Tarpley's metrics, his spin rates and, and all that stuff. But those guys aren't making money. And we know how baseball works. Guys like Familia and Batances are going to get chances to prove themselves because they are making the money. So you might lose some games before they they pivot and say, okay, Familia and Batances and Jacob Barnes or whatever isn't working for us. Let's let's figure out what's you know the better situation. And so those those games that this could cost us in the beginning of the season before they realize, hey, the bullpen's not working, uh, could be the difference between a, a division title and a wild card spot. Mm-hmm. And there are some decent relief options. Like you mentioned uh, Clippard, who has actually been pretty solid for the past few years since he left the Mets. Um, He's a guy I'd look towards. Shane Green is maybe not so good as he was with the Tigers, but again, he's also a guy I'd probably look towards for maybe at this point a non-roster spot and in spring training, similar to Tommy Hunter, let him work for that, that last spot in the bullpen. I think Green will probably, I think he's probably holding out for like a bigger, uh, contract or at least something guaranteed considering he was pretty high leverage with a good Atlanta team. But like Chaz Rowe is working on, he's, he's doing like showcases, like David Robertson's doing showcases. Those guys will take any deal that they're given. Uh, Thank you for mentioning Chaz Rowe because Chaz Rowe is someone that I've always been very keenly interested in because yeah. his, his slider is silly. Yeah. And Ian Kennedy too. I, I mean, I don't really know what his role would be at this point, but he ha- he's sort of taken on, I think like a, uh, almost a Bartolo Colon-esque uh, like stat line in that he can kind of work any spot you put him in. He's not just a starter anymore. He can do like long relief. Uh, his 2020 wasn't very good. He's also 35, but uh, I don't know. That's somebody that you could just toss a minor league deal to. I just think that the Mets really need to stock up on those kinds of options um, at this point, or they need to make a trade. Uh, the other thing too, is just like, cause knowing the way I think Sandy Alderson constructs baseball teams is important here. Like he almost never prioritizes defense, which if you're not going to do that, like you really need to prioritize pitching. Uh, like if you want to just have guys who score runs and pitchers who are who strike a lot of guys out and keep the ball out of play, like I think that's a fine solution. But you really do need to make sure that the guys you have pitching in high leverage situations are keeping the ball out of play. Because I don't I do not want to have to deal with games in Atlanta where in the eighth inning they're playing that stupid ass tomahawk chop and the Mets are blowing a six run lead and the guy they call in from the bullpen is like Franklin Kilamay, who's who's you know. I think can be kind of good, but also has very little big league experience to this point and hasn't shown that much growth in the last like two years or so. Like I I'm, I, I am very tired of rolling the dice on things like that. Yep. And you know, it'll be, well, I guess we'll see if, uh, if, if I'm right, or if the fan graphs projections that have the Mets at like fourth in terms of bullpen war is right. Yeah. I don't know. I just really highly of our pitching staff last year too. So anything can happen. Right. I mean, we saw that coming. It's not, the, it's not, they're not the be all end all. They tend to get things wrong. I think their like playoff projection thing was uh, a little bit ridiculous too. Like they had the Rays, they have the Red Sox having a better chance of making the playoffs than the Rays. Like they do a lot of things really well, but I, I don't generally trust the predictions that they make. 
Yeah, projections really oddly really love the Mets this year, and I get they're a better team, but I don't know if they're a 95-win team. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. And there are storylines to keep in play here. Like Tommy Hunter might have an elevated role now as a non-roster invite with Lugo out. He might have a spot on this team uh, right now, like legitimately, uh, which is going to be interesting to see. Um, really, I mean, I just hope that, that guys come out of spring training or come into spring training, like throwing darts and, and prove themselves. Those young guys, like I – I'm a Drew Smith believer. I think that he has a chance to be a decent, you know, major league middle reliever. Mm-hmm. And he kind of got the shaft last year yeah. uh, going up and down between the alternate side a bunch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I hope that they give him more chances because I think he's good. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll see what they do. Sandy Alderson, like they kind of, they kind of more or less said the other day that they're done making big moves. They're done making guaranteed moves after Taiwan Walker. Uh, but, you know, maybe a non-roster invite to a Tyler Clippard is, is not out of the question. And we'll keep, keep tabs on that one for sure. Let's move on. Let's talk Tim Tebow because Tim Tebow is uh, retired. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Bye, Tim. Thanks, Tim. That, yeah, I was going through just like the – I think ultimately like this has very little to do with numbers and performance – and I say that not the this being our my response to his Matt career and also just the the Mets continued employment of him. Like, you know, he was in a major league baseball organization almost as long as he played in the NFL. 2010 to 2015 was the NFL, 2017 to 2020 is baseball. Like that's that's he played for the Mets longer than he played for any one NFL team. Like he was a Met. This is, this is just kind of his thing. And uh, I mean, they seem to really value his, his insight as a professional athlete working with younger guys. I don't doubt that players learned a lot from him and appreciated having him around. Uh, I'm also just very happy that this is over. Like I, I, I was getting so sick of spring trainings, having to watch him, uh, having to talk about him. Like, it's just, it's tiring. He wasn't, he was not fit to play baseball at the big league level. He probably wasn't fit to play at the triple a level either. Like this, this probably should have ended like two years ago anyway, but it's, I guess it's nice that he goes out on his own terms. So it's, it's official that like, there's no, there's not going to be any more discourse about this. Like it's just done, but what's done is done. And there was a lot done like this, took a long time and I don't know I don't know what to do with all that time that was kind of wasted I'm glad the sideshow's over uh that's what it was it was I don't want to go and say it was a distraction but he was taking at bats away in spring training from younger guys and playing time away from those younger guys and you know they they signed him originally the Wilpons wanted someone to 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 make a little money for the minor league teams bro that's what I think honestly I think that that is what they did and it worked. I think that they saw an opportunity, they seized it and it paid off for them. I think they made money hand over fist in those minor league affiliates for the most part, especially in the beginning when he was just starting out. Yeah. It, it was like, like yeah, yeah. And sure, he's by for all intents and purposes, as far as we can tell, he's a great dude. And from what we've heard, he was a very solid teammate. And he taught his younger teammates a lot about life because this is like a 30, 31 year old dude at this point. And, you know, there's positives to it. So I don't want to say he was a complete distraction, but, but when it came time for spring training and there were guys, you know, duking it out and really trying to like make, take advantage of these at bats against higher level, you know, pitching. <laughs> I'm glad the sideshow's over Wednesday night was crazy that mm-hmm. it was like, I got like whiplash on the baseball news on Wednesday night. It was yeah, Tim no. Tebow retired and then Fernando Tatis signed a gigantic, mind-blowing extension. Yeah. I got whiplash. Yeah, one face of baseball leaves, one face of baseball is here to stay. That's that's how I saw it. Like, who was it? Is it Tim Healy who says that Tim Tebow was the most famous baseball player in the world? Like, that's kind of what he was. But uh, the Tatis deal is good for him. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in players – like franchise players, game-changing players staying with a team for a long time. Uh, that's like one 
like older thing that I am very uh, passionate about that most people would call me like old school for believing in. But uh, I think the extension is pretty good for him. It's probably underselling his value because he's, uh, you know, he is set to do this for 14 more years and $24 million is probably not that accurate an estimate of what he can give. Like if well, Mike Trout's make, yeah. It escalates, you know, it's basically there's, it's the way the contract is set up is it's going to follow along a, a similar path as like a normal arbitration situation for a player. It's going to escalate as he gets older. He's only going to make, you know, a mill or two for the next handful of years. And then it's going to escalate. I think it's the first four years of the contract cover like 36 mil or so. And then yeah. the last 10 years of the contract cover like 306 mil. Yeah. So it's going to escalate as he gets older, as he gets better. I, you know, we'd hope. Um, so good for Fernando, honestly, you know, everything he's doing right now, he's doing everything right. He's, mm-hmm. you know, the MLB, the show stuff, he's the cover athlete this year in the, in probably the most important baseball video game of all time, given that MLB, the show is, you know, no longer just a PlayStation exclusive. It is cross platform It is coming to Xbox. So people who have been able to play a baseball video game since the MLB 2K series ended in 2013, uh, you know, excluding RBI baseball. Cause I don't really count that because that game stinks, but yeah, it is pretty bad. Uh, yeah. The guys who can't, you know, people who can't haven't been able to play like baseball video games now can like get MLB the show on Xbox. That is huge for the game. That's huge for growing the game. And they put the right guy on the cover. They put this 21, 22 year old kid who's, you know, soon to be the face of baseball, really. He's like maybe the most forward facing player right now. Yeah. Given everything that's happening. It's, and it's exciting. It's exciting. They're doing something right. Yeah, they are. And it's, it's also, I think, just a good like narrative arc for him, too, especially given what happened six months ago with the flipping of the bat. Not the, the bat flipping. It wasn't bat flipping. I was the grand slam. It was the swinging at three and zero, which was just another stupid rule. Like, hopefully, when they do their little, um, you know, pre-title screen intro, they really make a point of that and and drive home that it, this is about like making the game fun and making it accessible. Because Tatis does that. Uh, I, I'm a big MLB The Show player, and I cannot wait for April twentieth because I want to see that intro. That's the only reason I'm excited for April twentieth. Yeah, but Fernando Tatis, good for him. His uh, extension does kind of like Loki affect the Mets too, because the Mets have a really good shortstop, who they sh- you know are thinking about extending, and Fernando Tatis just kind of set a market for extending very good shortstops. Yeah. So this does kind of affect the Mets' pursuit of a Lindor extension, and I can't really figure out if this is a good thing or not. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really either. I mean, I guess because they're still they're still beneath luxury tax, like they can dig in deeper to make an extension happen. Uh, and hopefully they're not just doing this for Lindor, but also pursuing one for at least one of Stroman, Conforto, Syndergaard. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, I'd give Lindor the money. I I, I really don't think it's I mean, the thing that always comes to mind is just, yeah, well, you're going to be paying for the last, you know, two, three years where they're not good anymore. It's just like, I mean, I don't know. That's just how contracts work now. That's what you buy into. It's it's part of the deal. These players aren't just worth $35 million annually. They're worth $35 million annually. And the trouble of, of whatever, you know, dredges your, your drag through afterwards at the end of that contract. Like, I, I, right now, Lindor is probably, I'd say – at worst, like the third best hitter on this team, but he's easily the best defensive player. Uh, he means a lot to this fan base. He hasn't even played a game yet, but he means a great deal, I think. And, you know, I'd imagine 20 years ago, people had these sorts of conversations about Mike Piazza. And I think we're all happy that even though the last two years of his deal, he wasn't very good, uh, that the Mets made that commitment it makes baseball more fun. It makes being a Met fan more fun. It makes the team better. Uh, but I don't, yeah, as far as what it would look like, I'm not totally sure. They probably need to do something similar in terms of how they structure it. Uh, 
Yeah, it's you know the annual average value has got to be higher than the Tatis contract. I think. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Although the Mets will probably use that as some kind of just because teams always do this in negotiation tactics. Like they'll probably use it as a base and be like, see if Tatis is making twenty four million, you can make twenty eight. That kind of thing. Like they'll probably use it to lowball first. But if the Mets are serious about this, like they will give him a blank check and they'll let him uh, write down what he thinks he's worth and then they'll give it to him. Um, if they're giving Trevor Bauer $40 million, which we'll, we'll visit that in a second too, why you'd ever give that kind of dude $40 million. Like you should be listening to whatever your current players who everybody likes uh, are asking you to pay them. Yeah. I mean, 10 years, 300 mil, figure it out, get it done. That's 30 mil a year, you know, maybe bump it up to 310, 320. Whatever, get it done. I want to get it done before the end of spring training. Conforto, I'm I'm growing more and more pessimistic the more I think about it that Conforto is going to extend, given the fact that the incoming free agent uh, class is really not good in terms of hitters, in terms of outfielders. Conforto is far and away the best offensive player that's going to hit the market. Yeah, and he's a Boris client, and Boris is not the kind of guy who's going to let his clients sign market rate extensions. Uh, when they're going to be the prize of the class. So, mm-hmm. or uh, the, in terms of outfielders, because obviously we have Corey Seager and Trevor Story and Javi right. Baez, and at this point, Lindor hitting the market too. Right. Uh, but in terms of outfielders, it's Conforto. And then like, honestly, I don't even remember who's behind him, like Charlie Blackman. Is it even him? I thought it was worse than that. I mean, I'll look it up, but it's, yeah, I don't think it's really going to happen. But, you know, we were also pretty pessimistic about the DeGrom extension before it came about. Like, that took me by surprise. Yeah, they really uh, knuckled down to to get that one done. But it's different. It is. This isn't Brody Van Wagenen's client. This is Scott Boris's. And this is a younger player who has, I think, probably the brightest future among that hitters right now yeah but it's close it's it's pretty close maybe dom but yeah yeah i Um, guess if we're talking ceiling yeah dom probably has the highest but it's i don't know i mean conforto is somebody who any team is going to pick up and they're going to get him at his peak uh so they'll have to pay a lot for him yeah hopefully he stays with the mets though because i i don't know man i mean i really want to keep him i really want to keep him i probably want to keep him more than i'd want to keep Cindergard. Uh, yeah. And that's nothing against Noah. That's not like a uh, a knock on what Noah is capable of. I just think right now, given this market environment, the you know Conforto would be a lot more expensive. It's a lot more important to beat other teams to get him. I think Syndergaard might be a little easier. But hopefully, I'm wrong about Syndergaard too, because he's uh, he's coming at this thing full steam. He really wants to be back as early as possible. Uh, He's been doing a lot of reading. He's been doing a lot of good tweeting too. Should we talk about the Noah Syndergaard tweets and or the Marcus Stroman tweets? Yes, we can. He's also been doing a lot of not wearing shirts, which is cool. Uh, Yeah, I love that. That's how you know he's going to be okay. You mentioned mentioned Trevor Bauer briefly. And so Trevor Bauer is a Dodger, obviously. And we don't want to talk about Trevor Bauer ever again if we don't have to, but here we are. Mm. It It took about a week before Bauer, you know, went back to his old Twitter ways of uh, of mindlessly defending himself and in doing so, making himself look worse. Uh, it's so funny. So Cindergard made a, a quote. He quote tweeted a, a tweet from the Mets account. It was a couple pictures of him and Rob Gazelman, who are friends. If you hadn't, you know, figured that out by now, you know, Noah and Rob are, are good buddies. They live together. Uh, yeah. They have a weird kind of shtick going on, but it was pictures of them like giggling and laughing in spring training. And, and yeah. Thor, you know, quote tweeted it and said, you know, and then he said, sorry, I didn't sign with your team, but I'll donate to your charities. Right. Like as like, as in that's what they're laughing at. And obviously it's in reference to Bauer who had that whole quote, you know, that whole tweet thread about how, He's sorry that he, you know, Mets fans felt like he, they were misled about the whole, you know, uh, TrevorBauer.com troll, merch troll thing. And it would like Noah owned him so hard 
Like, it's so funny. I don't even feel like that tweet was the funniest thing about it. Uh, I think it was more so the fact that Bauer, because he's Trevor Bauer, felt attacked by that and then tweeted back at Noah telling him, uh, basically providing screenshots for Noah's exchanges with fans on in Instagram comment sections, which I think they are over the line. I don't think Noah Syndergaard should be making fun of other people's wives. Like it's funny, but I wouldn't do it. And it's not professional. Uh, he and, and Noah basically, but the thing about that was that if you look at the timestamps, Bauer had basically saved They said like sent four hours ago in the screen in the in the photo that he took, but the comments are like a week old now. Like Trevor Bauer was holding on to them, waiting, waiting, waiting. Like these guys clearly do not like each other. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Syndergaard has the lower career ERA. He throws uh-huh. harder. Uh, he's less obnoxious toward other fans. He does not. His fans do not take part in online harassment of women. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's, he's, that kind of makes him the winner from the get go. But then the fact that Noah basically made fun of him for the drone thing, which will always, it will never not be funny that he made fun of the drone. Yeah. Also, very funny in that interaction was that half the Mets starting rotation was just putting Rich Staff in a body bag. Yeah. Yeah, who else? Stroman gave him some uh, some flack for that. And then didn't Tywalk also say some things? Because Tywalk's been very – he's another very online pitcher. But Yeah, he's online in this – in like a very wholesome way though. Yeah. No, it's not – It's it, there's nothing problematic about it. In fact, I thought it was funny that during the Bauer sweepstakes when his whole thing – his whole facade was like indicating things on Twitter as to where he wanted to go. Like Taiwan Walker was kind of shadowing that, like, Hey, you guys all really must care about where I'm signing. Right. Like he was yeah. playing it up really well. He was a great sport about it. Like that yeah. stuff's going to go far. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it was the day before pitchers and catchers reported. He like yeah. a photo of like a golf course and he's like report day tomorrow. And everyone was like, where are you reporting, bro? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and it turned out he's reporting to support St. Lucie. So that's cool. Um, cool. Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, Trevor Bauer remains a a, a shithead, and yeah, not a good dude at all. Just are, really, and today too, he's going all over. He's he's making all sorts of statements. I mean, the thing that really got this ball rolling, if we want to get into specifics, was his responses to um, some Dodger fans on Twitter, some verified Dodger fans on Twitter, who basically said, "Yeah, his comments on immigration and illegal immigration were." Uh, pretty distasteful and I'm not going to support him. And, you know, there's really no reason for Trevor Bauer to address them on a person to person level. If you want to like clear your name, you should just do it publicly. And uh, the fact that he was just trying to like own this guy for, uh, you know, defending the rights of illegal immigrants was not the, the clap back that Bauer probably thought it was. It was pretty silly. And then of course today with his response to Stroman, because uh, Stroman essentially tweeted like, yeah, it's not cool when players are, you know, instigating harassment of women or minorities. And Bauer was like, well, I, I don't think it's cool when they inflict harassment on anybody. And it was extremely all lives matter without saying all lives matter. So uh, he was he was like he was like, so would it be taking it a step too far to to, you know, be rude to anybody regardless? Like, yeah. Oh yeah, no that, flake, basically good old. I'm not racist. I hate everyone equally. Shtick. Like his whole thing, man, is just that. This was the whole "I'm gonna be better" thing, was literally just an act until he got employed again. Like until he had a job and until he had a cushy contract that protected him. There's like, and this is what's happened with Cleveland too. When he was with Cleveland before 2020, he did stuff like this all the time. Um, because he was protected by a contract. There was, there was no way that teams were going to be like, Oh, we don't want this. So we're not going to invest and then turn away and leave him behind. Like he's doing this now because there are no more consequences uh, or optics to his behavior that could affect how much money he makes. Yeah. It's a, it's a dodge bullet in the highest degree. And it also, there's a certain level of like psychosis that you need to have 
in order to beat Trevor Bauer and respond to the, the kinds of tweets that you get at mm-hmm. you. Like those, those tweets that Dodger fans were sending him about, you know, his stances on illegal immigration. Why do you feel the need to defend yourself? You're a major league baseball player making a record amount of money this year. This is all public. Like all your tweets have, like everyone has screenshots of everything you've ever tweeted. Yeah. Why, why do you feel the need to defend yourself? Are you, are you, are you that much of a narcissist that you think that everybody needs to be put in their place by you or your agent? Like, yeah. And that everyone's asking for your opinion. And that's, I think the thing that sets him apart because the counter argument I heard all off season from people when I told them I didn't want Trevor Bauer because of his, like basically his pattern of behavior was, well, a lot of players are just like him politically and you don't really like know that. So why are you casting judgment about someone that you do know? And it's like, well, I actually do know that Brandon Nimmo, for instance, or, or potentially Pete Alonzo don't target other people online. Like this is exactly what separates them politically from Trevor Bauer is that he actually decides that he's going to parade uh, and in an attempt to own the libs or whatever. I don't know. It's like, there's, that's ultimately what makes it different is that he thinks people care. And yeah, I guess we're kind of suckers because we are talking about it, but we're talking about it because he got body bagged. We're, we, we weren't talking about this uh, yeah, when there was a chance he was going to sign here because like that would be getting him too much attention. Now yeah. it's funny because Noah Syndergaard's, destroying him yeah he's he's a corn cob now like he's dude is <laughs> i i don't know what i was like he, it's ridiculous yeah it's it's enough is enough man like mm-hmm. the the amount of brain worms you have to have to just continually do the things that he does well, on yeah. he's, it, he's making he's making a bit of money he is not however uh i mean yeah the the, the alternative here the other side of the coin is that you know, Hollywood paid more money for Boss Baby to be uh, produced and, and put together than the Dodgers paid him. So there's, you know, he probably has a chip on his shoulder about that. I don't know. I think that's a pretty funny joke. Uh, hopefully you're laughing if you hear this. Also, I did my research on the outfield market. Uh, it's not good at all because Charlie Blackman is a player option. And it's worth $21 million. So he's absolutely going to buy into that because he's 35 now. Um, After Conforto, then, it's probably the only guaranteed free agent who's remotely capable of rivaling a big league deal like that is probably Gregory Polanco if the Pirates decline his option. And if not Polanco, it's like Dexter Fowler. Like, it's a pretty weak market. And that's just for right fielders. Like, left field is like Eddie Rosario and Kyle Schwarber again, because they're doing like one year rentals. Like this is Conforto's market to lose. Yep. Yep. So probably not, probably not going to come here. Um, I, I hope they can find a way to keep Michael, but uh, yeah. So Trevor Bauer's not a Met though. That's cool. Yeah. Francisco Lindor is those photos today of him in a messy Jersey. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I was feeling some kind of way. Those were nice jerseys too, but of course, like I didn't even care about that. I just saw Lindor. I mean, that was the thing that that's really the nice thing. It's no longer about just like how the team looks. It's also about just player image. And some people say that's bad for the game because like baseball is a team sport, but ultimately like baseball is so much more fun when you have a favorite player or you have someone that you just like to watch play in a way that is different for other uh, players on a team. I mean, that's the cool thing about this group is that they have like, they have a bunch of characters. You can have any favorite. You can like McNeil, you can like Stroman, you can like James McCann, uh, you can like J.D. Davis, you can like Jacob deGrom, like you can really go down any route. You can like Edwin Diaz, like there really is just no shortage of dudes here. This team is exploding with personality. Yeah. I have Dom, Pete, right? Like Dom is doing a, an Instagram live thing tonight with Barry Bonds. That's cool. Or last that night, cool. you know, last night, if you, it's Monday. Uh, like that's cool. This team is cool. This is a cool baseball team, and I like these humans. And right. I'm glad that Trevor Bauer is not one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I like that uh, our group of humans likes to body bag Richard Staff too. Yeah, he's been asking for it. 
Should we have Rich on the podcast? Maybe we should do that sometime. We should invite Rich. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how that would be for optics for us because we're bringing on the guy that uh, is famous for not having a wife. Yeah. You know, we got it. We got to worry about our asses too, but I, you know, I, I put that on the line for him. Sure. All right. Let's, uh, let's pivot. Cause it is episode 25 and yeah. we've been teasing something for a little while now that, uh we we want to like introduce right now we're not actually going to do it in this episode oddly enough because there was math involved and we got the math wrong uh as you guys know we remember guys every week and we've been keeping a list of the guys that we remember and we we had this idea around like episode 11 or 12 i think and so the first half dozen or dozen guys that we remembered there was no rhyme or reason to it but really since we came up with this idea the guys we remember uh, have come with an edge of uh, of strategy to them because we thought that when we got mm-hmm. to episode 25, we were going to put all our guys on a roster and we were going to try to, you know, get creative and, and see who had the better roster of remembered guys. So we, we counted them up today. And as it turns out, we are a guy short. We only remember 23 up to this point. The guys we remember today will be our 24th men. Mm-hmm. And so next week will be our 25th guys. So we were initially going to do this as like a cool thing for our 25th episode. Uh, but we'll have to wait another week at least. But keep an eye out for this content because yeah. we're going to have some fun with it. I have like and put together. Are we going to try and put together like an out of the park simulation between these two teams? Is that possible? Uh, we, we can try. I've never done out of the park baseball before, but you know, let us, you guys uh, at home, let us know if you guys want to try to see us visualize this somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like 84 catchers on my roster because catchers are so easy to remember. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, Jack only has, has two, uh, like normal most roster teams, construction, yeah, like most major league baseball teams do. Look at this idiot with his normal yeah. roster construction. The virgin two catcher roster versus the Chad five catcher roster. Mike Nickius. Yeah. So I'm looking at our lists right now, but let's, let's, uh, so the, for the past few weeks, we've been like yeah, looking at what guys we need to remember. And I, I needed some pitchers. So I've been remembering pitchers and I'm going to remember a pitcher today. Let's, let's get into our, our guys for the day and, and then let's get out of here. And you go first. Yeah. I, I'm remembering a guy that I have no personal connection to. I just think his name is fun. Uh, he pitched for the 04 Mets and then the 06 Mets. And he pitched in the combined, uh, he pitched 15 games for in the 04 season as a 29 year old mm. with a 3.86 ERA, which is half decent. Uh, and then uh, two games in 2006 as a 31 year old. His name is Bartolome Fortunato. Wasn't he a part of the Scott Casimir trade. Wasn't he the second guy they got with uh, Victor Zambrano? I believe he was because he also pitched for the Rays in 2004. So I yeah. would imagine that that, that that happened. Yeah, he. Uh, I don't have like any recollection of him at all except for that. That was a great trade, by the way. Was that uh, Steve Phillips or Jim Duquette who did that? I think that might have been Duquette. <laughs> the guy who does like the SNY trade proposals now? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that actually checks out perfectly. Um, yes, he was involved. I'm looking at it now. He was involved in that uh, Zambrano trade with Casimir uh, uh, going the other way. You know, we probably would have won the World Series in 06 if we had Casimir. Yeah, like, there's a good chance. Like the Sanchez cab thing is the thing everyone talks about because like our best reliever was gone just in the blink of an eye. But like, yeah, not having Scott Casimir and instead having like Oliver Perez was just brutal. Um, Casimir was an all-star in in 2006, a 22-year-old, pitched to a 3.24 ERA in 24 starts. He uh, had a a FIP of 3.36, ERA ERA plus of 141, which is excellent. Yeah, yeah. and 07 were weird steroid era years. So 324 was like, you have to cut that in half to understand how good that really was. He struck out 10 batters per nine. Yeah. An all-star. He had two all-star years with the Rays, 06 and 08. In both three years, the Mets could have used some starting pitching. Yeah. Uh, so that's a left-handed pitcher. So he's not the guy I remember because he's not he's not really there. But I'm remembering a left-handed pitcher, too. Uh, 
Do you remember Chris Capuano? I do remember Chris Capuano. Chris Capuano was like, so before there was uh, Kirk Neuenheis played football, there was Chris Capuano went to Duke. Every time this dude would come into pitch, they talk about how he was in a fraternity at Duke. Uh, he was not bad. He pitched for the team in 2011. So it was kind of one of those years where like, like faces come and go uh, and you don't really remember them unless they're like appallingly bad or maybe they're really good for one season. Uh, like I think that was the year race won the batting title, but Capuano is well-remembered in some circles for his performance in one random game in August uh, against the Braves. This is a fun little fact. So he actually owns the second highest game score for a, a Met pitcher in Met history uh, he struck out like 13 Braves, didn't walk any of them in a complete game two hit shutout. And he only threw like 106 pitches or something. Like it was one of the most efficient, confusing games. Uh, he, he pitched like 25, 30 games from that year. Like he wasn't that random, but he also never pitched for the Mets again after that he made, year. He made 31 starts in 2011. 31. How many innings is, is this? 186 innings. Pretty good. He was hurt too with the Brewers before he came to the Mets, right? So it was right. like he missed. he missed. He did not pitch in 2008 or 2009. Mm. So he jumped. If you look at his baseball reference, there's just a gap. Yeah. He jumps from 2007 to 2010. He was in uh, 24 games, nine as a starter for the Brewers in 2010. And then a full season as a Met in 2011 with a 4.55 ERA and a, a 4.04 FIP. And then he went on to the Dodgers for a couple of years. He was better for the Dodgers in 2012. He had a 372 earned run average in yeah. uh in just a sh uh, you know a couple innings shy of 200 innings. So mm -hmm. you know, good for Chris Capuano. Yeah, we love our uh, we love pitchers who come back from injury. Always folks. We love them. That's Don't it, huh? That's it. For that's everything. That's guys number 24. I'm gonna add them to the matrix we got here when we're, we're keeping track of this really studiously oh yeah it's definitely not just a uh, a list on a google doc these are more than just guys they're uh they're ways of life maybe the real guys that we remember are the friends we've made along the way exactly That's on that note yeah i think this is a good point to to uh, ship off for the for the week. I think he delivered it well. Yeah. For uh for uh for Jack Hendon and uh and myself, Sam Lubwitz. This has been another episode of the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. We're 25 episodes deep, baby. We're halfway to 50. We're a quarter of the way to a hundred. And Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. <laughs>